I would advise first that we should assess the risk of the company. For example, in which industry the company operates, what's their main business. That was Danielle Melendez from the Volkoff Law Group. Together with Alex Kosha, they penned a blog post entitled Google's Failure to Preserve Electronic Communications, a warning to every company of the new reality surrounding electronic data. I asked them if they would sit down with me and expand on their blog post thoughts for a podcast, and they graciously agreed to do so. It's a fascinating exploration of the storage, electronic storage of communication and data, and how that plays out in the modern litigation world. It's an episode that every compliance professional needs to listen to and be aware of. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today we have Double Trouble from the Volkov Law Group. We have Alexander Kosha and Daniela Melendez. First of all, welcome to the podcast, guys. Tom's great to be back with you. Uh, Daniela, uh, I believe you're the newest member of the Volkov Law Group. So uh, welcome and welcome to the podcast. I know we have not had the opportunity to visit before. I've had the opportunity to visit with Alexander several times. So um, we are here to talk about ephemeral messaging and more specifically an article that both of you co-authored for the Corruption, Crime, and Compliance blog of the Volkoff Law Group, and I really wanted to take a deep dive into it. And uh, Alexander, I'm going to ask you to maybe uh, lead off with us for us here for this podcast. Sure. So uh, I think we need to, uh, before I turn it over to Daniela, to really discuss the Google case and its significance I do want to briefly discuss what ephemeral messaging is all about so that we have a clear definition. So ephemeral messaging is a method of communication that utilizes platforms that automatically erase uh, the content between parties immediately or after a short interval of time. There is an automatic deletion feature that can um, be the application's default, or there's a feature that allows users or administrators uh, to turn off those default settings. So many times, I think more often than not, these applications are used for legitimate social purposes. You've got your Instagrams, you get your, uh, that allow messages to disappear. You also have Snapchat, things of that nature. But from a legal and compliance perspective, Tom, the concern here is that the DOJ is, is seeing an uptick in enforcement actions that involve these types of applications, which obviously can be used to conceal illegal activity. So we're really talking about a tool that makes it increasingly difficult for law enforcement and the government to conduct investigations in criminal activity, particularly in the corporate arena um, when you have a lot of employees interacting on these devices. And um, with that, I think I'll let uh, Daniela discuss the, um, I'm sorry, yes, Daniela, discuss the uh, implications of the Google case. Hi, well, thank you, Tom, for inviting us to the, today's episode of the podcast. As Alex mentioned, companies may face legal liability in civil litigation in responses to government regulators if they fail to secure information of an ongoing litigation or a foreseeable litigation. As an example, in the recent Google case, the district judge sanctioned Google for failing to preserve employee chat evidence relevant to the antitrust litigation. Specifically, Judge Donato ruled that Google 
fell strikingly short in its duties to preserve records in this case. So in this case, um, Google failed to secure information that was relevant for the case. The employees did not follow the company's policies regarding uh, preservation, document preservation, and the judge fi uh, fined Google. You can continue, Alex. Oh, thank you. Uh, now, now, so I think the, um, I want to talk about briefly about the implications uh, of this case uh, for compliance, Tom, because I think it has relevance not only when it comes to commercial litigation in the federal courts, but also the compliance. Um, I think the initial temptation in the legal community was to regard this as just another milestone in the area of uh, commercial litigation and preservation of evidence. But I think Danielle and I strongly felt that it had repercussions that extend well beyond those narrow issues. Um, now, from a compliance perspective, this is really a monumental development because of the DOJ's focus on the exact type of messaging applications implicated in the Google case. As you know, Tom, the most recent iteration of the guidelines concerning the evaluation of corporate compliance programs uh, include completely new language that address the need for organizations to consider how they preserve information um, of the very sort that was spoliated in the Google case. And these guidelines make it very clear that they do so by proactively identifying and managing authorized communication channels. Uh, so in the incorporation of guidance concerning what we refer to as ephemeral messaging applications or applications that we defined earlier, there is a strong signal that the DOJ is encountering this issue more and more as it conducts investigations broadly implicating uh, corporate misconduct. So to me, this is, uh, to us rather, this is not a so subtle warning to corporations that they had better adopt refine their data preservation policies in relation to employee communications specifically. Um, I think in the first instance, an organization has to consider its risk profile to ascertain what communication channel it will even allow its employees to use. Certainly the risk profile of a small domestic manufacturer is far different than say, an organization like Google, which has hundreds of millions of users around the world. Uh, they interact with the platform every day. So while the small domestic manufacturer might not have to worry so much about these requirements, Google, which I think the federal district court made very clear, certainly must. Um, now, I think the most consequential consideration companies should be examining is whether ephemeral messaging applications are even appropriate when conducting business to begin with. So a company that operates in a very high risk area that's rife with corruption, for instance, should absolutely prohibit the use of those applications because of the risk associated with concealing bribery, which of course gives rise to SCPA liability. Now, conversely, a small retail chain that has no overseas exposure can be a bit more lax, I think, in permitting its employees to use ephemeral uh, messaging applications, especially since rank and file employees are constantly utilizing those devices all day long for legitimate business purposes. Uh, that is a lot, uh, but I think it all speaks to the reasonable aspect of, risk man of the risk management requirement. Um, second time, I did want to note that the DOJ guidance uh, really focuses on the use of employee personal devices to conduct official business. Um, and this comes under the auspices, auspices of a very ubiquitous BYOD or bring your own device to work policy. Uh, so in that respect, the, the guidelines are rather emphatic. In fact, that companies need to monitor and preserve all business-related electronic data and communications that might be generated by an employee in the ordinary course of commercial activity, irrespective of the medium utilized. Uh, that could be text messages, that could be email, that could be Snapchat messages, or other ephemeral message applications. 
So in that vein, I think the guidelines are equally clear that companies have to develop specific policies that address an employee's obligations to both allow the company to periodically inspect their personal devices and to retrieve and store business-related uh, communications in accordance with its document retention policy. I think um, also it goes without saying that this is a huge risk for companies accustomed to more lax preservation policies. Uh, Tom, in the past, I think it was quite acceptable for companies to empower their employees by letting them utilize whatever means they wanted to get the job done. Uh, those days are over. Um, those same companies are now being told that they have to account for all of the channels utilized, maintain all of that data in a consistent manner, and constantly monitor the content of those communications for any evidence of illegal activity. So to me, that's a complete paradigm shift that lar larger organizations in particular need to accept and work with. Danielle, if a company comes to you and says something like, okay, we read your blog post, we're sufficiently scared, where do we start? How do you counsel them on the first steps to take? Alexander told us, uh, or at least I heard several steps along the path, but how do you actually begin? Well, I, I would advise first that we should assess the risks of the company. Uh, for example, in which industry the company operates, what's their main business. And then I would, I, I differ from Alex. I don't think it should be prohibited because the technology is already out there and it's more likely than not that maybe younger employees will use that technology. And for me, it's better to provide all of the employees guidance on how to use it instead of prohibiting it. So I think the first step would be to assess the company's risks and then from there uh, draft a policy that is adequate to the company. And uh, I think Im implicit in your article for me was we've had many enforcement actions from the Securities and Exchange Commission around this specific issue. But tradition, uh, traditionally, the SEC regulation, or enforcement rather, has been under regulated industries. With Google, we seem to be moving to non-regulated industries. And so the question I wanted to pose to both of you is, um, we have information in the most recent evaluation of corporate compliance programs on this topic. Do you see this as something an anti-corruption compliance program also needs to take into account? And I'll Throw it open to either one of you all. No, I think it's absolutely essential. I think I mentioned earlier that these devices can be used really to conceal bribery and anti-corruption, um, I'm sorry, uh, bribery and SCPA liability by allowing the users to uh, simply concoct and hide their schemes uh, using these applications. So uh, I think it definitely extends to the field of anti-bribery and corruption compliance and to the extent that you're allowing your employees to use those devices in higher risk areas and higher risk industries with a propensity for, you know, uh, misconduct, then I think you are going to be in trouble. So you really have to assess all the communication channels that you're allowing your employees to utilize for official business. Um, and I think it's going to be a painful exercise to start with because I think a lot of companies are used to allowing, uh, you know, their employees to permissively access whatever application they want. So they really have to take it, uh, an inventory um, of the formal communication channels that the business authorizes and then some back channels that they may not know about. 
there was, uh, as I mentioned at the start of this podcast, this was a jointly authored blog post. So I don't know who wrote this following line, but someone essentially said the Google employees either could not or would not comply with the court order. And could not is certainly one level of potential liability, but would not is a different level of liability. And do you foresee a potential liability for individual employees who will not comply with a court order if it turns out that the order was appropriately disseminated to the employee group at issue here? And here in this case, it appeared to be 40 Google employees. Yes, I think it <clears throat> it's likely that the court will sanction individually the employees because as it's, it's written in the a post, a, the court sanctioned the lawyers too. So I think if it's proven that the employees um, willfully violated the policy to delete important information for the case, it's, it's likely that they will be sanctioned too. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, no, I think so too. And I think particularly the managerial uh, folks who are responsible for seeing you know, the document preservation uh, process uh, there were some indications that, you know, they let their subordinates do whatever they wanted. So employees were going around and randomly deleting things at their leisure. And I think a lot of responsibility has to be with senior management um, uh, for allowing them to do so. And I think the other part of the equation, too, Tom, is that they weren't properly educated in document preservation. I believe they were given a small tutorial about what they needed to do, but that's really not sufficient to, and especially in the trust, an antitrust case like this, to um, acquaint them specifically with their responsibilities under the federal rules and several procedures. So I think more comprehensive training was needed in that instance, and it led to the failures uh, that uh, Gabriella mentioned. Alex, and I also want to mention that this is a clear example that the company was also not enforcing the policies that they had already. Absolutely. They were not enforcing the policies they had already because they were not following up in mo with the monitoring or audit of uh, the activity. Is this question, this issue, these concerns, are these things that clients or potential clients are coming to you guys, to the Volkoff Law Group, about, like I started with, with Daniela, how, how do I start? Where do I start? Is this something that you're seeing an uptick in inquiries from? Yes, we have received some clients uh, requesting information, more information about uh, if, yeah, if they should have ephemeral messages policies or if we could draft the policies. So, yeah, I think it's, it's going up. You know, Tom, I think it's become a big issue in the internal investigations that we're asked to perform on behalf of companies. We're talking about very substantial international organizations that have broad reach and we're seeing an increase in the utilization of these methods to conceal conduct. And it's very effective because I think um, it creates holes where those holes would not otherwise exist. And you can kind of uh, manipulate official channels to make it seem like something is legitimate when in fact something uh, nefarious is going on in the background. So yeah, no, I think I definitely think it is a threat. So as we... Uh Move towards the end of this podcast. I wanted to ask both of you all, what's the, the best advice you can give or the advice you would give a client or a potential client at this point? Is it pick up the phone and call us? Is it 
read our blog post? Is it read the ECCP? Is it all of the above, none of the above, or something different? And no, Alexander, I'll start with you. Sure. No, I think it's something in between, between because I, I think the biggest takeaway from this um, is really that organizations need to jump on the bandwagon to the extent they haven't already and start assessing what communication channels are currently being utilized and if they should continue to be utilized in light of the recent regulatory and legal developments. I think also it may uh, be time to dust off that old document retention policy and really put together a knowledgeable group of stakeholders uh, from across the organization to evaluate whether those policies are sufficient uh, to meet current demands. Uh, and then, of course, companies that discover evidence of employee misconduct through the utilization of ephemeral messaging applications absolutely need to make a voluntary disclosure and commit to remedi remediation immediately. I would add to what Alex said to listen to this podcast and contact us. Well, that brings up the final point I wanted to raise with both of you all. If someone wanted more information on what you've talked about, uh, if they, someone wanted to contact you all or simply connect with you all, what would be the best way for them to do so? And Alexander, I'll start with you. Yeah, no, the best way to do so is at our website, www.volkofflaw.com. And um, my email address is acotoya, A-C-O-T-O-I-A, at volkofflaw.com. And uh, anyone can email me and I will respond. Daniela? Yes, my email address is melendez at volkofflaw.com. Well, guys, we're also going to link directly to the blog post that we've talked about in our show notes. So I wanted to thank you both. Number one, for writing the article, I absolutely agree. It's an incredibly important issue, and we need to have more discussion on it now. If you're not aware of this, get aware. Yeah. It's coming. And thank you for taking the time to visit with me, and I hope we can continue this conversation. Thank you, Tom, once again for inviting me. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review wherever great podcasts are listened to. I'd like to tell you about two great new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network, Adventures in Compliance, where I look at the intersection of Sherlock Holmes, leadership, compliance, and business ethics. I'm doing all of the Sherlock Holmes stories as well as the novels. Another is Report from ECI 2023, where I interviewed speakers, guests, and participants at ECI 2023. I know you'll enjoy both of these new podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.